I'm Jim Ford. I'm Mark Marble. And I'm John Godwin. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 99. Tonight we have uh, we have a very special episode. This uh, this past weekend, Green Lantern finally came out in the movie theaters. It was something that we've all been looking forward to for it's been longer than months. It's been years, years in the making, and finally got to see it. And tonight, something special in terms of we're not going to do the full-on movie discussion. We are going to do a spoiler-free discussion of the movie. This way, anybody that has not seen the movie can listen to this episode and get psyched up for the episode, for the movie and you know and feel free to listen without worrying about you know the movie getting spoiled for them uh and likewise if you have seen the movie you can listen to this episode and know exactly what we're talking about you know when we refer to things vaguely like you know that one scene with that guy and the green energy that was awesome wasn't it <laughs> yeah so the the one the one thing that we are allowing as we go into this is that anything that is common knowledge about the movie, you know, before you go and see it, we can discuss. Like we all know who the actors are. Um, we we know who we kind of know who the big villain is if you look at any of the the toys, you know, in any of the toy stores and the build a figure. So. And I think they show it in some of the coming attractions also. So anything that is common knowledge, we will be discussing. But we won't be going into specifics. And so that after you listen to this review, our discussion, you you can go see the movie and be like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Um, Okay, guys. So I think, like, the one thing that I want to start with, and I think this is one thing that really... It was a, a sticking point for a lot of people when the first trailer came out, and it has to do with the acting. So you know, we'll talk about the acting first. But in particular, the acting of Blake Lively. Yeah, that's certainly yes, that certainly was something people were to be put it to put it mildly were concerned about. I think after the clips that were included, yes, in that first ill-fated trailer. That uh, <laughs> I thought she was. I thought. Overall, I thought she was certainly a lot better than the trailer indicated and what people were afraid she was going to be. I don't know if I thought she was great. I, there were some scenes that – I think the more quiet scenes between her and Ryan Reynolds, I thought she was better at. I don't I don't necessarily re- – I still don't think I really buy her as Carol Ferris. I don't really necessarily think that she comes across either – I don't think she has necessarily the presence that you would think Carol Ferris – Really should have, but I thought she was better. I thought she certainly did a good, a professional job. I thought she did a pretty good job, and I think as the movie went on, I think I bought, I, I bought her more in in that role. I would say she, um, she did manage to embody the the Carol in the comics when you know she has problems with Hal. You know she wants to be with Hal, but you know she knows it's bad. You know he's kind of bad for her, and and. You know how she's his boss, but at the same time his friend, and you know his lover, and all this stuff, and and you know she can't be all this, so she does tend to you know switch around in the comics, and does switch around a lot depending on who's writing her. So I think Blake Lively did, you know, she did as well as she could 
with a very confusing character. Yeah, yeah, I, I would, I, I would say she did good. Um, I, just before seeing the movie, actually, I saw Accepted and uh, the the Town, uh, two movies that she was in, and it wasn't like I went out of my way to to watch those movies. I just happened to see them very close to the movie. And she did a great job in those, you know, like the material that she was given to work with, she did, uh, did a fantastic job. So, you know, going into this, I, I was I was pretty confident. You know, like, I, I figured they just grabbed, like, you know, one tiny little scene out of context. That that one particular scene, like, the not even, like, the scene. Like, the scene itself was good. It was that one line that was delivered kind of stiff. But... For the rest of it, you know, any time that she had to act like a boss, I think she did a very good job. Uh, the parts where, you know, she was not, you know, as boss-like, I, I would say it was a little less believable, but I don't think that's her fault. I think that what she was given to work with was, you know, like, straddling the line between boss and, you know, romantic interest and they kept trying to push her more towards romantic interests. That's true, because they kind of, I think by nature of the script of what was written, it kind of was a contradiction because, you know, Carol's supposed to be strong, but yet at some point for, from, to move the plot along, you almost have, that, almost have to have the damsel in distress aspect of it too. So that kind of was that fine line. So that's true. I mean, she, I don't think, I think it was kind of, I don't know if confusing is the right way to say it. That may be unfair, but I think there were kind of like a, both sides that she had to play. So I think she did a pretty good job considering. And she didn't, she wasn't even really, you know, the boss cause you know, her dad was still around. So it's like, you know, she's not, you know, she's getting there, but she's not even the boss yet. So, you know, I, I think they could have just, you know, skipped the middleman and directly made her the boss. It's still in the process. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I noticed was that it's, she seemed younger here and, I mean, like, even younger than in terms of when she was uh, portrayed in the, the Secret Origins comic. Right. So, between, like, and, and I think, again, that is something that they were going for, that they were actively trying to, to do in the movie, to to make, you know, both of them, you know, Hal Jordan and Carol Ferris, younger, uh, to appeal to, you know, I guess a younger generation. And that's fine. I It just... You know, like like you guys are saying, you know, Carol Ferris is a very complex character. You know, I, I guess as she matures, hopefully we'll we'll see that. So, okay, got that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> now, I guess the most important thing: what did you think of Ryan Reynolds as Green Lantern? Good, John. You can go first. Um, I definitely like Ryan Reynolds. I like him as an actor. I like him as a character. Um. And you know he was he was one of the best parts of the movie, but you know I, I in some ways I kind of would have rather them go with an unknown. You know I don't know if it would even be doing you know how it's doing now if they went with an unknown at the box office, but uh, he definitely did he definitely did a very good job at it. You know he did he was he was believable he was funny he was charming you know he was you know, he's good at the action scenes. And I just think they might have been done might have been able to do a little better with an unknown. I liked I liked him. I think his performance was really good. Uh, 
I especially like the scenes where for some, and it's not, and it has nothing to do with me not disliking the mask. It's just something about him in the uniform and he didn't have the mask on for some reason. I like that look, and I thought some of his best acting for whatever reason was like that. Whether when it was on Oa, or whether when he was talking to Carol, I like that. I think, and I thought as the movie went on, to me visually he looked more like Hal. And I think the parts that really – when I, especially when I watched it the second time, I noticed this, I think, a lot more than the first time. That especially the scenes where he's like kind of sweating, he's kind of beat up, and he's wearing the uniform when, when his hair gets you know, wet and it's kind of like falling, falling a little more in his face. And for some reason, that struck me as being very Hal-like, at least in physical – the physical appearance. I thought his humor was really good. I know a lot of people were afraid that, oh, he was just going to be try to be the goofball in the entire movie based on, again, based on that glorious original trailer. But <laughs> but I thought the humor, you know, the humor was delivered very much in the same vein, I think, as the humor in Iron Man with Robert Downey Jr. And it was and that was very effective in that movie. And I think it was very effective in this movie, too. He was serious. I mean, and he kind of used the humor to deflect a lot of his own issues. So I thought that was. I think that was a reason why for the character to use the humor, and I thought I thought I, I agree with John. He was one of the better parts of the movie, and I enjoyed watching him on on screen. And I see he certainly, if I and I didn't really have that many problems with him being cast. Certainly based on when it came down to the final three or who was being cast, I certainly never thought Bradley Cooper could play the part, and I still don't. But I think he was. I think he did the. Did the part justice, and I think uh, that certainly was one of the strengths of the movie. Yeah, like the way that they portrayed the character, I don't think Bradley Cooper could have could have done as good a job. Now, if they had made the character more like he is in the comic, then you know, and put that in the same environment as the movie was in, then in that case, I think Bradley Cooper actually could have. Probably he might have been able to do a better job. Um, like I, I, I thought Ryan Reynolds was great. I love Ryan Reynolds. Um, you know, I, I enjoy most of his movies, if not all of them. Um, I thought he was, I thought he was very entertaining to watch. I thought that any scene with Hal Jordan in it was, you know, like and him, you know, doing his Green Lantern thing, like that was that was the best parts of the movie. I think. But the one issue that I have is that they they played Hal off as a very conflicted individual who he had he had so many internal conflicts going on that it really it kind of held him back as a character and as Green Lantern. Do you guys notice that at all? Uh, I mean, I think I know where you're going with it, but kind of give me an example of what you mean. I think I know where you, what you're going to do, but I just want I just want to make sure I'm on the right track here. Well, I, I mean, for example, well, for a big example, the whole bar scene where you know him and uh, Carol Ferris are in the bar. Um, you know, like the conversation that they're having, and uh, there's another scene later on, you know, near the end of the movie. Where, you know, he's, he's, he's talking and it's like, you know, it, it was very, it was very filled with self-doubt, I would say. I could see that. But that, 
because they certainly do play up the aspect of whether whether he's his own man or not, or whether he's basically living in the shadows of the past. And let's well, I'll be vague and leave it like that. Uh, so I think that's true. I think there is, I think there is self doubt, and that's true for Hal. That's not truly Hal like, but I guess based on how they were approaching Hal in this movie, it kind of mirrors and it's the same kind of arc as him being a Green Lantern. In the beginning, it's the same kind of thing. He doubts himself and he doesn't know if he should do it or can do it. And then, and then he ends up in a different place. So I think I can see why they did it, but I agree with you that it's because he comes, he does come across as cocky, but not maybe as confident as he is entirely as he does in the comic books. Like at the same point in his life. Yes. You know, um, for the comics though, I think in the comics he is kind of like that. But the problem is it's 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 compartmentalized in his head. And because, you know, because we read it in a comic form, we have access into his thoughts, into his mind. You know, in the comics, he doesn't want Carol to be a star sapphire. You know, he is racked with, you know, he, he tries to kill himself and do dangerous stuff in some ways because of his dad. He, he's always, he's always, you know, he does have self-doubt. He, he feels bad about what he did um, in his past in the comics, his parallax. He feels bad about, you know, his family, what he's done to his family by not being there for him, partially from being a Green Lantern and partially, you know, just by not being around. And, but I think in the comics, you know, that's in his head, and we get to see that. But you know, for everybody else he's around, he can put forward a little more of a, you know, this, you know, this, I'm a strong, confident person. I have nothing, no doubt. I can always overcome it. Um, but in the movie, you know, they can't, they can't. We can't be in his head, so they have to show that a little more with the acting. And I think it came across as, as a lack of confidence. And they were trying to show, you know, who he can he can go over his confidence, he can go over his fears. You know, in the comic, it's just a little easier to show him compartmentalizing those and having them in his head and not showing them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I can kind of see that, but in the comic, like, when I look at Hal Jordan, like, I see somebody that jumps first, and he looks later. Right. Kind of like when he goes... With yeah, kind of like when he goes to Abin Sur, even in the movie. That he doesn't think yes. like he doesn't even doesn't even think twice. Once he realizes what's going on, he doesn't even think twice about you know whether there's like you know whether it's radioactive or anything else. He just you know he just charges straight in because he sees he sees what's going on and Evan Sir might need help or obviously does need help and that's what he's more concerned with getting him out of there. Yeah, and and in actuality, <laughs> like one of the things that I never like truly thought about until the movie was that. The way that he ran to him, you know, to, to, to help him, it was like Hal Jordan, you know, saw a pilot in need. And it was like, you know, it's like, oh, my God, you know, he's a pilot. I know the dangers that come with, with you know, being a pilot. Let me see if I can help him. That's true, too. I mean, that is another aspect of it that probably you're correct. And even from a, in a, the history of the comic book that gets overlooked. That may be in his mind's eye, comparing the you know the crash of his father to, to seeing Ab another pilot, Abin Sora, crash you know crashing in front of him, and him trying to almost in a way possibly making amends or trying to take do what he couldn't do for his father. I hadn't thought of that till now either, but that makes that makes a lot of sense, and a lot of it would explain you know why he you know one reason he takes the Green Lantern duty so seriously because you know he's a he's a fighter pilot. He's you know he's not really a, a cop and Green Lanterns are space cops, so it kind of it would it would help explain why he puts so much into it. Okay, so we talked about Blake Lively, we talked about Ryan Reynolds, 
the I guess the one of the other biggest characters was Peter Sarsgaard as Hector Hammond. It's an interesting character to talk about since I think that's one of the I think for the most part that's a character that a lot of people have mixed not necessarily because of his acting, but just based on his role in the movie, I think they have a lot of mixed feelings about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought Sarsgaard was fu- was fine as Hector Hammond. I thought that, that he might have been a little over the top. I mean, I could see why people thought that. They, they didn't really. I don't think they tried to lay the background as far as his relationship with Carol a little bit. I think they could have done a little bit more of it. I certainly don't think they tied him, Carol, and Hal all together as well as they – again, they could have. Uh, and I'm not really sure – since we know in the comic books that Hector Hammond is much more – he's much more greedy and orange than he is yellow, that having him in the same movie as Paris Carol kind of – I don't know. It doesn't – that part didn't really work for me, and I think they they did a pretty decent job at making him seem like a credible threat, I did think. I didn't think either of them too. I thought it was going to be pretty lame how the, having him as the threat when you knew Parallax was the big bad you had to deal with, and and I did like – I mean they, towards the end, you got a little bit more of the, how he was jealous of Hal and everything else, and – a little bit more of that, but so I thought his performance was fine. I just don't know if, again, I'm not sure if he was either the, he was the right villain for this movie based on tying him in with Parallax, or whether I think that pretty much that pretty much I think might say it all and my take on it. I think he was a uh, his acting was, was pretty good. You know, the early reviews said that he was just you know he was over the top and everything, but it works for the character he was playing. You know, how can a character with a giant head not be over the top? Yes. <laughs> you know, so it's just, you know, I think, I think as an actor and as a character, it worked. But I agree, I don't think he was, he was the right villain for the movie. Um, I know they were trying to kind of go a secret origin route, and that's part of the reason they were using him pretty early on. But, but you know, but, you know, he just wasn't quite right. Um, also, I think they took a little bit of a, a dive at nerds with him. Um because this, this is not a spoiler, but when you first see him in the movie, he's playing like three or three or four online games at once. On you know, he's got one screen. He's got like chess going. He's got like it's either World of Warcraft or Starcraft. I could never tell going on, on another computer. And he's sitting there, you know, eating stuff out of a jar. It's, you know, I yeah, that really was know. that was pretty gross, actually. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen people do that that are gamers, but it's just it's just I think it was a little bit of a, a dive of you know the quintessential nerd. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of saying that's the opposite of this fighter pilot, you know, awesome, tough Hal Jordan. And, you know, they're, they're kind of talking about how anyone can be a lantern. Well, that's kind of, you know, kind of defeats the purpose a little bit to me, but probably being overly sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think I think Peter Sarsgaard did a, a fantastic job with the character. Um, the, one, the one thing that I thought, thought was interesting was that they kind of make him, to some degree, a sympathetic character. You know, like, uh, you know, we know... That's true, because he has his own... Fa- I'm sorry, because he has his own father issues, clearly, which, though, in a way, even though they're trying to make him the opposite of Hal, they're always trying to make him... They're trying to put some truth, and when when Hal, toward the end of the movie, tries to compare himself to, to Hector Hammond, trying to make it sound like, you know, they're, they're, they do have some things in common that, based on the way the movie 
movie is written, they actually do have some things in common for different reasons, but they do have some things in common. All three of them are, are supposed to have father issues, though, so, I mean, you know, that's just kind of that's one of true too. typical Green Lantern things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, no doubt. Um, but, I, yeah, it was. I, I thought it was interesting because you see him in the comic and, you know, he, he's not a sympathetic character at all. Like, there's, there's, like, no no point where you're like, oh, I feel really bad for Hector Hammond. But... Again, I have to disagree with that. Really? In the comic? Yeah, when you... Um, right before he um, he goes after the Orange Power, when you see him in the cell, and he, he's essentially living life vicariously through a connection, mental connection with Hal. Oh, I was I was and, referring to, like, more like the, uh, the Secret right. Origins. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. I, I, I definitely in that, yeah, you don't feel sorry for the guy at all. It's just kind of later... In yeah, his life, I, I I do, but yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I, I you you have a very good point there. Um, but in Secret Origins, they definitely write him as like a non-sympathetic character. You know, like he almost like he deserves what happens to him. Um, and then you know you see this movie, and I I thought he was he did a a, a good job as a, a bad guy, you know, as a, a villain, but. They they do. It's not that they redeem him, but they do make him. You know, you feel a little bad, you know, for him. Definitely. Um, and I think that's all. <laughs> that's all we'll say about that. <laughs> uh, I mean, um, we got a lot of uh, voice characters, you know, in, in this movie. Uh, Mark Strong. Uh, Tim Tim Robbins was it? As the father, yeah. As yeah. the senator, yes. Um, and anybody anybody like stick out in any of your minds as far as you know? It's like, oh, that was really cool, or I really like that, as opposed to you know maybe somebody else that wasn't as strong. Michael Clark Duncan as Kilowog was well. awesome. <laughs> See to me, I like to- I like Jeffrey Rush's Tomar Ray much more than I like Kilowog. I thought Kilowog they just kind of wanted to make him big and huge and bulky, it's like the ground shaking every every time he lands and things like that. And let's make him let's have him throw Poozer out a couple of times, like he has four lines of dialogue in the movie and two of them have Poozer in it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but that- I think to- I think Tomar. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Get you. Oh no, I, I just I think that's uh, <laughs> that was for the fans. Oh, I agree. I, I agree. That's why they did it. But to me, Tomar, see, Tomar Ray to me of like leaving out Abin Sir, but of the three lanterns, you knew how I was going to interact with the most in the movie: Sinestro, Kilowog, and Tomar Ray. Tomar Ray was the one that surprised me the most because I really didn't think I was going to care that much about Tomar Ray. Even though I do like Jeffrey Rush, and once he got the role of doing the voice, I thought that was going to make me interested in it. But just the just the way they did him overall, the animation I thought really made him, for lack of a better term, human. I thought they they really made him like a, an approachable character, and I thought Jeffrey Rush really handled that character really well. And I was I I was more I mean I I, I was more interested in Tomar Ray I think and learning more about him than I was Kilowog, even though naturally I, I'm drawn more to Kilowog. I think probably most of us are, but Tomar Ray in the movie I, I thought was to me struck me as is an interesting character, and clearly Mark Strong was really amazing as Sinestro. He probably he wasn't in the movie nearly as much as we probably would have liked, but I think he was he to me he was Sinestro, and it's hard to imagine them casting somebody better in that role. 
I 100% agree. I, I think as, as far as, as, as far as any of the casting went in the entire movie, I think he was, he was perfect. Um, he looked like Sinestro. He acted like Sinestro. Um, it, it was, it was so spot on, you know, like Mark Strong, um, who, who plays Sinestro? I, I've seen him in a few movies, and there was there was almost like no Mark Strong there. It was just like it was Sinestro. Um, I think Jeffrey Rush did a did a great job. I, I mean, you know, having Jeffrey Rush narrate the opening to Green Lantern. I mean, that's awesome. I know that that yeah, we could we probably would have never thought we'd ever see that like a few years ago. <laughs> no, no. Um, Michael Clark Duncan, I, I had no problems with him as Kilowog. I mean, the character of Kilowog, I thought was, I mean, it could have been a lot better. Um, it, like when you're watching the movie, the, the training seems like almost non-existent. Um, yes. Although on second viewing, I did realize that you don't actually know how long he was on Oa training. If you watch the skies, it only looked like a day or two. But yeah, I mean that's when a lot of the again what a lot of the earlier reviews said that you know it's pretty much he goes through like a day of training and then gives up. This is how it looks, you know. Yeah. Um. Well, they yeah like exactly they don't show they don't show how much, you know, is what's really going on on Oa. Um, like, they show you the introduction, and then, you know, they show him flying back to Earth, you know, shortly later. Um, so, I don't know, it, maybe they thought that it was implied, or maybe there wasn't any. We, we don't know. Um I can only hope that there are deleted scenes on the DVD, you know, having to do with that that whole section. But uh, but no, I mean, you know, Michael Clark Duncan. I mean, you know, that's a, kind of a natural fit for for Kilowog. Yes, it was it was pretty pretty perf- pretty perfect from the, again if you from a wish list point of view, I would say too. So they just didn't give him enough to do, which I guess is a fair probably criticism for most of the other the lanterns in the movie actually. Um, yes. Yeah, Tim Robbins, the, the father of Hector Hammond. Um, without getting into his character too much, um, you know, good job, bad job. Was, do you think that there was enough of a point to, to justify getting Tim Robbins in that role? Hmm. I I think it could have been done by. I mean, it could have almost been done by any actor. I mean, that character is, is kind of standard fare in movies in general. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't necessarily know if it was – I mean, I don't think it was necessary to get a, a, a big name at all. I, you know, they could have just as easily gone with, you know, almost any other actor that can do – you know, can play a role somebody you don't like. <laughs> that's that's probably true. That might be a case of where it's an example of them trying to get a bigger name because the more big name – you have in the movie, even though, even if the role isn't really that big, or or you can you can make a case certainly not one of the most critical roles in the movie either that you 
try to get as many big names as possible because that'll that'll make people go, ooh, and ah, this movie, you know, this this must be really impressive or, or special because we have so look at all the big names they have. You can make the same case for uh, Angela Bassett as Amanda Waller. I mean, they could have. I mean, I thought she was good in the role because because Angela Bassett's good in, in most everything. So, but. They probably could have had somebody less well-known than Angela Bassett to play that role too since for many people, a lot of people aren't going to know who Amanda Waller is anyway. Right? Yeah. No, that, that's that's definite uh, good point. Uh, Lauren, recognize Lauren. What's her name? Yeah. Who? Uh, Amanda Waller. Oh, uh, Angela Bassett? Angela Bassett. The name completely dropped out of my head from when you said it to when I wanted to say it. Uh, Yeah, uh, Laura recognized her, and she's like, oh, that's cool that she's in it. Um, But, I mean, mean, aside from that, like, I guess they really could have gotten anybody to play that. And I don't necessarily know that her role was that important in this movie. Like, you know, I, I heard that her role was being compared to, like, the Nick Fury role in, like, you know, all the Marvel movies. That's exactly what right. I was going to well, say, yeah. yeah. Like a linchpin ca- uh, a character that technically, if they wanted to, 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 tie, all, to tie all the different DC superhero franchises or heroes together. Yes. Yeah, yeah well... She was, being, she, was being, she was being set up for that, or that character is what's kind of being, I think, thrown out there for that purpose if they choose to do so. Plus, in the comics, she has a manhunter in her office, so sequel. <laughs> That's true. Um, in, in the comic, you mean? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, wait a second, I don't remember seeing that in the movie. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, see, well, it's also interesting because I just I picked up my comics today, and they talk, and I picked up the Abinser the Abin Sur prequel comic, right. and they tie Abin Sur into Amanda Waller. I mean, I won't go into any more details about it than than that, but they they tie an earlier visit of Abin Sur to Earth related to her, to Amanda Waller. Huh. So, um, yeah, I mean, my my biggest criticism is that when you look at Nick Fury, it was like they just gave you tiny little tidbits, and whenever they did, it was like. The, the pieces that they were giving you always suggested that Nick Fury is a badass and, you know, he's really cool and this is somebody you want to keep paying attention to in all these movies. Uh, now, you know, likewise, you have Amanda Waller, who, in the comics, like, you know, I know that she's kind of a badass. But here, you don't really see it. That's true, you don't. Except for the setting she was in, you know, because just, just the whole – I don't want to give too much away, of course, but the whole you know area she was in and, and you know, that she was she was a very stern, very intense woman, you know, at least, at least showed that she had power. You know, you could tell she was somebody not to mess with, but, yeah, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't nearly as, you know, badass as Nick Fury is in, in the other roles. Um, now, additionally uh – there was supposed to be a John Stewart in this movie. <laughs> yes. Well, obviously he must be on the cutting room floor somewhere. Well, yeah, or he was just he he may have been in the movie, um, just never named. 
And I, I have a feeling that, you know, he was um, in near the beginning with the, the airplane scene. He was in that small little, you know, group of military people. Oh, okay. Or maybe in the Hot Wheels scene. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. I, I, I thought was I thought wasn't he originally supposed to be in the bar scene? Um, I th- I, mean, I, don't, I don't remember I don't remember much about where John Stewart was supposed to be, but I thought there was something about that he was going to be going to be in the, in the bar scene. I mean that that could have possibly been it. Also, well, it would have actually been the part right after the bar scene. Right, that's true too. Um, I didn't get a close enough look to you know. To see if that was him. And like I said, they don't actually, you know, say his name at all. No, they don't. Um, I didn't pay attention I didn't pay attention to the credits to know either if, if he's actually listed in there or not. Yeah, I didn't see it. I, I, I didn't notice his name in there. Um, I, I definitely didn't notice it the first time. And the second time I was looking a little closer and uh, still no luck. Okay. Um Oh man, it, there, you know there were so many aspects to this movie. Um, you want to talk about parallax? You want to wait on parallax? Um, oh God, let's talk about let's talk about action levels. Was there enough action okay. in it for you? Well, since it was the first one, um, you know everyone's going to say, of course, there could have been more. You know, Green Lantern is a very action oriented comic, more more so than some of the others, I would have to say. But since it was the origin movie, I mean, you, you have to balance it out. And, you know, it would have been, of course, it would have always been nice to see more constructs and see, you know, more fighting. But, you know, I kind of understand why they couldn't necessarily put more. I think, I would say, actually, I there probably was more action than I actually figured there was going to be. I didn't think there was going to be as much action as there was in, in the movie. Maybe because of my expectation as an origin story or that you or that you basically kind of know or knew going in what you know kind of what the plot what the plot setup was going to be and, and who he was dealing with and vice versa that you didn't think that there would be a whole lot of big action scenes for Hal necessarily himself but I would say I would say there probably was more action than I thought and I was I was I was pretty happy with it. I mean, probably the end, the the action scenes toward the end, the, the very end, uh, on after, after the hangar scene, I would say they could have maybe that could have been a little bit longer, could have been better. But I I think I thought the action was pretty good in it. I you know there wasn't that much I really was disappointed with in the movie. I kind of met I certainly met or exceeded all the expectations I had for it for the most part. And the action kind of falls in line with in that category too. Yeah, I. I mean, I, I loved all the action that was in the movie. I just, like, I do wish that there was more. Um, I, you know, I, I talked to Dan, and he, he made a comment as far as wishing that the ending was a little bigger. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a good ending, um, it makes sense, and it's it's really it is really cool. Um, I'm I'm not going to I'm definitely not going to give anything away, and I'm not not going to discredit it as far as it being bad. It's just that, like like you said, like if it was a little longer or a little bit bigger, just 
a little more. Um, like I would, I would have liked it that much more. Um, and, and John, like you were saying, as far as, you know, wanting more constructs, you know, of course you want more. Like, I, I would have been so much happier if we did get, you know, a significant more, you know, amount of constructs. Like, you see, even in the previews, you see a construct from Tomar Ray, and, uh, you know, you see a bunch of constructs from Hal. And it would have been it would have been nice to see like a nice array of constructs from some of the other alien Green Lanterns, uh, especially to see like because I guess I guess what I'm looking at this as like if you look at the action figures, each different Green Lantern comes with like a, a specific construct, you know, for all the smaller figures, and on the back it says. You know, and this person's construct, you know, is like this because most of their constructs are along this line. You know, like if you have like a fish, then their constructs are going to be either fish related or aquatic or something like that. As opposed to like if you have, I don't know, like a rock creature who's going to create rocks and rock type, you know, things. Right. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though. But yeah, I know. We know what you mean. <laughs> What'd you get for Christmas, Hanu? I got a rock. Yeah. <laughs> I got a rock-like thing. <laughs> yeah, Charlie Brown, Green Lantern. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> sorry, derailed. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, between a rock-like thing and a hard place. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, no, like more constructs would have would have been great. Uh, it, like, I didn't have any problem with the amount of time it took to introduce, like a lot of you know some of the um, the Hal Jordan as Green Lantern aspects. Uh, like they give you enough action before that throughout to to really keep the movie going. Um, but I, I think, like, after Hal Jordan became Green Lantern, they could have given us, you know, a little bit more. I think that's I think that's fair, especially in, I would say, like, this, almost the second act of the movie. If you go from the time after he goes to Oa and does his training and then he comes back, even though that, you know, that kind of leads to his big reveal, you know, when he first appears to the masses as, as Green Lantern. But still, I think it's the second act where Parallax isn't as big a character. And I think that could have been where they could have had more action scenes or maybe they could have used Hector Hammond even a little bit more than they did to get some more action involved. Or just have him – or just have other things, non-parallax, non-Hector Hammond related, just just kind of like how we first, how we first used the ring to, you know, at, at the party to uh, have other natural things going on around Coast City that he, that he, he was needed to help almost like – Almost like akin to like Superman's first night, that the, the way you know in, in the original Superman movie in '78, how so, how basically once he reveals himself, you see like almost like a montage of him doing things. That they could have had some an aspect of that, not necessarily one night, but they could have had different things that he did uh, using using the power and once he kind of like and reveals himself. The only problem with that though is is he. Uh... Uh, let's see. I don't try not to give too much away, but you know, he technically wasn't 
part of the court right then. Well, so he still he, was. I mean, they, I know I understand what you're talking about, but they didn't. It's not yeah. like they. It's not like they took away his ring, and obviously, you know, based on what Tomare and everybody else and Kilowatt, well, Kilowatt kind of just stood there, but what Tomare said to him basically was that would it would still indicate that more like along the lines of think it over, <laughs> yeah. don't do anything, don't do anything at the moment, you know, sleep on it, kind of that kind of job, and and so, but I know what you mean, but obviously if, if they really were. If he wasn't truly a member at that point, they would have taken the ring from him. I definitely think that would have been better if they had done something like that. But like I said, it would have changed a lot of you know his I guess self doubt and a lot of that if he was actually out there doing stuff with the ring. So would you know would have would have changed the flow of the movie quite a bit, and I think it would have changed for the better. But still, some of it would have had, a lot of a lot of the later stuff would have, would have had to be rewritten. That's true. I don't know. Is there anything else that we really want to get into? Uh, I don't know. Can we talk about um, why uh, why Parallax looks like he does? But that's related to some of the things we can't talk about. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure about that. Yeah, so we can't go into that. Although, uh, what? Abin Sir. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but before we go into that, I will say that there was one point with Parallax in the beginning, in the very beginning, where... It kind of looked a little cheesy. Which part? When he, when he, when he, when he first comes, when he first breaks out of his prison, or before? Yes, yeah, like right after that, and he's kind of flying through space. I agree. I don't. He, he was not as in. Yeah, it almost kind of looked like, uh, like the smog monster from Godzilla versus the smog monster. The way <laughs> he was flying at that point. I I agree with you on that, and I think, and I think even though you kind of get an explanation for why. He looks in a way you get the, not a not a perfect explanation, but you kind of get an explanation later on for why Parallax looks the way he does. That to the I think to moviegoers, even when he's still in the prison before he breaks out of it, I think is would it's kind of conf- potentially confusing to people. And I'm not sure if that's and it's kind of it's kind of explained away in, as the movie goes goes on. But I but I because I even I mean I kind of knew going in what you know what what the gist was, but still, that's not what I expected him to look like when he was in prison. <laughs> yeah. I will say, it, it kind of explains why he doesn't look like a uh, like a giant insect like he does in the comics. This is true. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it, it's fairly, it's fairly comic accurate as far as, you know, the, the concepts and rules go. Yeah. And we'll say that that whole beginning sequence... Um, that had the audience on the edge of their seat. If the whole movie had been like that, it would it would be doing phenomenal, I think, in the box office. But I mean, yeah, that that one that that really did have the audience going. I mean, I heard gasps and you know cheers and stuff, you know, throughout every showing I've been to with that scene. So, <laughs> um, now uh, with uh, with Abin Sir, you you had a, an interesting point, John. Well, um. Now we said this isn't too spoilerish, but you never really get to see what happens with his body. Even in the commercials, you see um, Hector Hammond examining the body, but you never find out what happens to it in the movie. So, you know, I'm wondering, is that going to be part of the sequel? I mean, did everyone just forget about it? You know, oh, this guy was such an awesome lantern. You know, oh, where's his body, you know? So I just kind of think, you know, are they going to do something with that, or did they just drop it? Well, um... Well, they cut. They 
even though they, it's not necessarily that they touch upon Abensur's body again, no pun intended. Even though they because they could they because they might very well be referring to like uh, the the test results and the samples that they took from his body when Hector Hammond was examining him. But once Hector Hammond becomes the Hector Hammond that we know and love in the comic books, and and they kind of give you the reason why he becomes that way, that they make reference to it in the movie that they kind of that Amanda Waller and pretty much the scientists have kind of figured out exactly what's going on with him. That Abensur wasn't. Alone, if you would say, crashing to Earth, and that's kind of what. So, the, but that doesn't mean that they still have Abensur's body, which you know, they probably do on ice somewhere. But it doesn't mean that they found it from Abensur's body. They may very well have found it just from the test results and the samples that Hector Hammond already took. But I'm talking about just Abensur's body itself. You never find out what happens to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we won't. We definitely won't know that until the next movie, and. Like you said, it could just be a drop plot line. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm going to bring somebody in now. Yay, more people. <laughs> Mindy. Yes. Oh. Hey, hi. Hey, Mindy. Yeah, hi. How you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, you're on with me, Mark, and John. Hello, Mark and John. Hello, Mindy. <laughs> this is kind of awkward. I'm walking around Yosemite right now with my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drop it. Yeah. I really should hold on with two hands. <laughs> 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 anyway, sorry um, it took so long, but we had a family picnic and had to bike back and all that stuff. So. Oh, man, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Pretty exciting. I mean, I'm not complaining or anything, but I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> well, we're excited that you're on with us. Now, you you <laughs> you took part in the the Green Lantern movie meetup, Las Vegas. Yes. <laughs> now, this was this was something that like we kind of we tossed around an idea. As far as you know, there being a meetup over in Las Vegas by Jason, and yeah. then completely dropped the ball. And I, was it you or Jason that started the idea up again? Um, I think it was me because I knew I was going to be in Vegas at the time. Um, my friend, she graduated from college and she wanted to go to Vegas, so. Of course, I said okay, like a good friend does, and um, I contacted the forum to see who actually was going and then luckily I got a response finally I think I was a little aggressive about it because I really wanted to watch it with someone who was passionate about Green Lantern so I'm glad it worked out I'm very glad awesome <laughs> and uh and you guys went to the midnight showing yes um unfortunately I didn't get to talk to Jason or Christian for very long um because my friend and I, we had a really big issue with the valet ticket and everything. So we arrived about uh, maybe 20 minutes, I guess, before the movie. So, um, But at least I got to see them, so I'm not complaining. But it's fun. Now, what did you think? I, I thought it was fun. And I'm not saying it was the best movie ever, um, but I enjoyed it the whole time. I didn't look at my watch at any point. I was really like hyper focused. I think like 
maybe thinking a little too much, but it was a lot of fun. There were some things I was a little bit nitpicky about that, you know, of course any movie could be better, but I liked it. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I don't know. Forrest Gump was pretty amazing. Forrest Gump? <laughs> Are we comparing it to Forrest Gump here? Well, no, no, but I mean, you know, I wasn't really nitpicky about Forrest Gump. <laughs> no, no, I guess not. But then again, I mean, if you're really into the writing and the directing and acting or whatever, I guess you could be. But no, that's a good point. That's definitely a good point. And I think, yeah, like like with you and any other like hardcore Green Lantern fan, there's definitely going to be nitpicks. Yeah, I also know I have a lot of friends who are really, really into movies. And unfortunately, that has kind of ruined my movie viewing experience because now I think about everything that is going on behind the scenes or the writing process, the storyboard, everything like that. So I guess I think a little too much about movies now. So so how was the catering on Green Lantern? <laughs> Decent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. What'd you call it? Um, I work in television. It's one of my jobs. And I'd say, though, you know, while, while it seems like it takes them away, you know, once you kind of get used to the idea, sometimes it can actually enhance it. Because, you know, you, you, you have the ability sometimes to get more into movies. Because when a movie really loses you, it really loses you. When afterwards you're like, wait, you know, I wasn't even thinking about, like, how did they do this scene or how did they do that? Yeah. You can actually get more into them if, if it's a really good movie. That's true. Um, you can really think about or appreciate everything they did do that you may not realize if you weren't aware of everything they did. So that's a good point. Yeah. <clears throat> um, now, Mindy, were you, uh, were you aware of the, the reviews going in to see the movie? Yeah, I was, but, eh, whatever. I mean, I have this negative view anyway about the reviewers, so I wasn't really paying too much attention to them, but I wasn't expecting the best movie. Um, see, when it comes to movie reviewers, I have this opinion that's pretty biased and probably not the best to have, that they are really looking for dramas. Like, all the movies that are nominated for awards, they're all dramas. Not to bash dramas completely, but I really like sci-fi and, you know, the other genres that are also really good that don't necessarily get nominated, if that makes sense. Yes? Yeah, definitely. No, that is yeah. true. There's, that definitely yeah. is true that there's more of a – that there's – that same – just with uh, the acting awards themselves. I mean, an outstanding performance in a comedy will most – well, is much more likely to be overlooked because people think that comedy is easy when comedy is actually a lot harder. Yeah. But, I would agree with that. So anyway, I, I think they usually look toward dramas, and obviously Green Lantern's not going for the drama crowd. It's going for the comic book crowd or adventure crowd, whatever you call it. So I took it. Yeah, I took it with a grain of salt, pretty much. Uh, what, what, what did you guys think of the, the reviews? It bumped me out on Wednesday, though. I'll tell you that the Wednesday before it opened, it did. It really let. I mean, it did. I didn't think it was going to impact whether I liked the movie, but I, 
as far as me hoping that the movie was going to do really, really, really well, that as soon as the reviews started coming out and they started piling up the way they did, it, it really kind of did suck for me anyway. It sucked the energy out of like out of me. Mm-hmm. It sucked the air out of the room for a while. And I went into the movie, when I went into the midnight on Thursday, I kind of, besides going to enjoy it, I was in my mind's eye because trying to pay attention to what the common threads were with what a lot of people said. So I kind of had that in the back of my mind when I was watching the movie to see if I could see, almost like I was looking to see what some of the criticisms were to see if they were fair. And from, from, for the most part, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand why it's being ripped the way it is. To me, essentially, if you liked, if you liked the kind of movie the way Iron Man was, even if you kind of liked the way Thor was, was executed and structured, Green Lantern's the same, in the same kind of vein. Almost. So if you like, I don't see why Green Lantern is being singled out and being mm-hmm. and being ripped to shreds. I mean, unless it's just an example of pe- there's so many comic movies out this summer on a relatively short period of time. Maybe people are comic book movies out. Maybe the expectations. Maybe because Thor came in and a lot of people thought Thor was going to be really hard to pull off, so the expectations were pretty low, and then people were pleasantly surprised. And X Men. Even though it was an established franchise, First Class was come was a prequel, which is never you know looked upon as a good thing anymore. <laughs> that may, may, may if ever if it ever was, it's not now. That maybe because you know X Men was coming in as a prequel, and because not many people really thought highly of X Men Three, and even Wolverine, you know, kind of got ripped apart to a large extent. That maybe they were expecting it to suck too, and it didn't. So maybe. Because I, I mean, I liked X Men First Class, but if you were to read some of the reviews, it was like the greatest movie since like The Dark Knight, and <laughs> from a, from a comic book point of view. And I personally, not that this is ne- it's neither here nor there in our discussion, but I happen to be one of the people that thinks Batman Begins is better than The Dark Knight. I think Dark Knight was a little too long and a little overrated. Good, but not as you know, not not like the Godfather of comic book movies, kind of like the way it was made out. And I, and I think it could just be the darkness. So many, so many of the comic book movies that are coming out are so are dark, which is fine. But Green Lantern, even though there's certainly dark elements in this movie, that for the most part it isn't that kind of movie. And I think maybe that makes people think that it, it does not take it as seriously. If I don't, but when I started seeing the early reviews, at first, at first they didn't bother me because they were I hadn't seen like any one I knew about like all the reviewers were names I'd never heard and I didn't think it was that big of a deal um, but they started you know it started getting more and more and more and um, <laughs> you can ask Rachel I started getting really bad butterflies in my stomach right like right before going to see it because of all the bad reviews it was getting um, and you know some of the some of the reviews that were actually more thought out just you know weren't just just you know, baseline, just saying, oh, this is a horrible movie. Don't go see it. You know, the ones that were actually going into detail, I could see some of their points, but a lot of it wasn't as big. Like they, a lot of it wasn't as big of a deal as they were making it out to be. They were they were taking a lot of, you know, there were some big plot points, but they were taking a lot of the little points and blowing them out of proportion in a lot of the reviews. Uh, what you call it? Somebody uh, linked either on Facebook or the forum or or something to. Um, some somebody's blog who had like a really good, uh, really good take on you know the whole review thing. In that they went and saw the movie, and you know they couldn't understand why all the reviews were so so poor, and 
he thinks that what ended up happening was there was such like a like a negative you know wave of sentiment due to that first trailer that it just kept on building and building so that when the reviewers finally came time to review the movie they were already thinking that the movie was bad because of this sentiment and nobody wanted to kind of like buck that trend and be the only person saying that Green Lantern was good, you know, because then you'd be looked at as an idiot among everybody else thinking that it was bad. I, I think the marketing might have had something to do with it, too, because the market, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, up until up until May, the movie really wasn't marketed at all. I mean, and then then, then it was like a blitzkrieg that, you know, over the last something like the last three weeks, I mean, you can't put on a channel without watching something for Green Lantern or Sports Sports Center being brought to you by by Green Lantern and everything. So I think that might have gotten some. It's it seemed that that kind of some people in the media were actually bothered by that. I mean, I know Box Office Mojo was pretty clear in saying they thought that was like an act of desperation. And I don't. I mean, I don't necessarily take it that way, but I think the marketing campaign clearly could have been a lot better. It could have been a slower, steadier rise to re- increase interest in the movie and then a final push instead of essentially not doing anything until the WonderCon footage came out and then just did a full court press from the, begin- from the beginning of May on. I spoke with my dad about that who has worked in television for about 35 years. And, um, and we, were, we, we were talking about that. And, and when they released the, um, the initial trailer, they, they actually didn't have like any of the effects done. So there wasn't much more they could actually release, right? Um, and they, they should have waited till later. But um, when they finally started bringing out the WonderCon trailer and all the shows after that, that was actually about the um, the normal amount of time um, for most movies. So that that wasn't out of the ordinary. It was just the length of time between the original trailer and the WonderCon stuff was too much. Oh, I agree. I mean, I. And even even the uh, stuff like the posters and the banners and things like that usually. Usually the pattern seems to be when you first release a teaser trailer, that's when the first teaser posters usually come out. Yeah. And all you needed, and all you needed for Green Lantern for a teaser poster was the symbol, for God's sake. You know, <laughs> uh, that, that's all you needed to do in last November was when the first trailer came out, do a, do a symbol on whether you wanted to put in Brightest Day, you know, and Blackest Night on it or whatever. Just have, just have the ring basically. But they didn't do that, so so you go. The fact that you had to wait till you got to May before before they released the posters to to the theater. I mean, that's just that's just crazy. That didn't make any sense whatsoever. Now, getting back to the movie itself, uh, Mindy. Um, without spoiling, now, what what was uh, what was your favorite part? Would you say? I guess I'd have to say that the beginning like most movies are the beginning is usually my favorite just because it introduces the concept and the characters and i felt like they opened the plot line very well um and they did a pretty good job of giving you a general feel of i guess where they were going and overall who the characters were um so the beginning i really got into right away I was really excited about, really jazzed about. But I can't really p- pick a particular scene as my favorite, unfortunately. Okay, how about... I have to see it again. I only saw it once. Oh. Same. I know. 
actually, uh, that that reminds me, uh, John. How many times have you seen the movie? Uh, twice so far. Uh, Mark. Twice so far, maybe the third time tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, twice for me, third time is probably going to be Saturday. Um, and we all, and like all four of us now, have gone to the midnight show for this. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Uh, Mindy, what would you say it was uh, one of your least favorite aspects of the movie? Something I guess I didn't really connect with was the relationship between Carol and Hal. Um, I really don't know how other people feel about it, but I wasn't very taken with it. I didn't feel that emotion I really wanted to feel. Um, And actually, for Carol's personality in general, or character, how she came across, I wasn't too huge on. But I don't know, that's, that's kind of harsh saying that was the least liked thing but that's what comes to mind <laughs> that, that's totally fair that's your opinion <laughs> um, <laughs> well we we uh we discussed earlier we we give we give blake lively credit for for her acting uh, <laughs> you guys just like her because she's the girl no, i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that's actually it <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, they didn't make the uh, the alien lanterns that hot. <laughs> Shame on them. Though <laughs> uh, so they did put that, they did put the cleavage back on that one, the one alien Green Lantern. I forget which one it was supposed to be because I don't. Utica and Rami Hall. Because first, first they showed the cleavage on one tr- on like the WonderCon footage, and they cleaned it up when they put the trailer in the theaters. And I noticed, and I noticed when the actual when. You watch that scene on OI in the movie, actually, the cleavage is back. <laughs> not, not, not that I was looking for it, and I'm being honest, I wasn't. It was just something that happened. To, I happened to notice it more because of the fact that I knew that they had, they had edited it out for the trailer. It's like I just thought that was interesting. It's like they cleaned it up, and then they, and then they de-cleaned it. I think that's a good tagline for the sequel. Green Lantern, Return of the Cleavage. <laughs> Uh, okay, um, I think uh, I think we've talked plenty long enough about the movie without actually using any spoilers. Uh, so, uh, generally, overall, Mindy, you thought it was fun. Mark? Spoiler alert! Green Lantern dies! Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was awesome. <laughs> based on the box office, they might not care at this point. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I I would give it I would give it like four out of five. I thought it was good. There were some things I would you know I would have changed, but I thought it was certainly ex- it met or exceeded my expectations across the board. And, and I'm, I was very happy with it. And it and it still bothers me and eats at me that it, the movie is not doing as well as I would like it to be doing. And that the review and maybe more so that the reviews are are so bad for it because I don't think it's I don't think it's justified. Mm-hmm. I think um, about the same, but uh, you know, I will say this: I think this is one of the best versions of Green Lantern which we've seen, which is kind of sad. <laughs> but you know, you know, it's also partially a little bit. It's, it's partially because the uh, you know most of the current generations, uh, you know, Green Lantern, what, what they've seen was John Stewart from the TV show. You know, so it's like you know, it's a very different Green Lantern from what even the current generation. <laughs> 
has been into, which you know might might say something about you know why they don't seem that interested in it. It's not their Green Lantern. That's I mean that is possible. I think it's I think what's really interesting though is because as as clearly it it underachieved us to a certain extent at the box office, but I think what's what's interesting to look at is the fact that and I and I. I mean, this I don't think it was a secret anyway, just from – I'm sure all the theaters knew this because you get your projections based on the company of what they think the movie is going to do. That I'm you know, I'm very close with my, my local theater and, and the managers and everybody who's there. So I knew like from talking talking last Monday that the, the projections for the movie to begin with were only going to – were only like in the 55 to $57 million range. And that was before any of the reviews came out. So even though I'm sure the reviews did hurt the movie – you know, a little bit on opening weekend, and it may very well hurt it as far as the long term. I may have a, a potentially a bigger impact that if you actually look how bad the reviews were and how that it didn't take that big a hit based on the original on the original projections. The bigger issue for, I guess, Warner Brothers is figuring out why, especially despite all their blitzkrieg in their marketing, why the movie was still only being projected to do in the mid 50s to start with. And I think that might be a more um, from a might be a more of a troubling thing to try to figure out what exactly they did. Maybe there's nothing they can do, but you have to think there's. And yes, if the reviews were better, I'm sure the movie would have done better. I mean, if Iron Man, if the reviews for Iron Man had been horrible, I don't think Iron Man would have made 90 plus million dollars in its in its opening weekend. But so this is a movie where I think the positive reviews would have helped it, but I'm not necessarily sure that the negative reviews had as big an impact as people. It may not. I mean, it certainly didn't have a huge impact in opening weekend, but only time will tell if it's going to make enough to warrant a sequel. Well, like John said earlier, the when they put that first trailer out and it wasn't ready, they they shot themselves in the foot. Um, I agree. And I, I think, like going into this movie, I think that was the biggest detriment. Uh, showing a Green Lantern, you know, trailer that didn't have your Green Lantern stuff ready. Um, now that said, I, I think I think the movie was great. Um, I would give it... I would probably give it a 4 out of 5. You know, maybe uh, an 8.5 out of 10. What I was looking at with the, the box office, I think so far it's made, as of uh, when I checked, like around 70 million. It's 80 million worldwide. So far, yeah, eighty million worldwide, sixty-three million domestic, seventeen million foreign. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about eighty million worldwide so far, and it still hasn't opened in a bunch of markets. Yes, that's true. Now, considering that the budget was estimated at a hundred and fifty million dollars, two hundred million, two hundred million. <laughs> yeah, now they, they did move it up to two hundred. Now, okay, they boosted it last minute for graphics. I mean, even even if you you look at it as, as two hundred million. Uh, you still have the rest of the worldwide opening sales. You still have, you know, a few weeks of, you know, movie sales in general. You have all the DVD and Blu-ray sales, and you have the merchandising sales, which the toys have been selling like gangbusters. I mean, like, they they can't keep them in stock. Like, the, the toy stores just keep selling out of these, these toys. Um I think when all is said and done, I think that they are definitely going to make back the 400 million they need to 
you know, warrant a second one. I think I think that's probably true. I mean, I think there's a good chance that's going to happen. I don't want to. I think we're going to know. I mean, overseas for this movie is going to be really critical because if you look at the way it it opened domestically, that realistically is probably is probably going to make somewhere between like 130 and maybe a, between 130 and probably like a in the 130 150 range. It's probably going to do money like like the Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer. Kind of money, which is not, which you know, certainly based on its budget is not great. So it really has to make at least, it really has to probably make at least close to 200 million overseas for it to be, for them to sign off on a sequel with a clear conscience, or else they still might do it if they really want to, if they think they can do better, if they really realize what some of the, you know, look at the criticism and they go, okay. We see some of what they're saying, and we we know what's good with the movie, and we think we can fix what people, what the critics didn't like. So let's let's do another one. So they still might do it, but so time will tell. So what you're really saying is that every Lantern cast member needs to go about six hundred thousand times at ten dollars a pop to make it worthwhile for a sequel. And, and to make sure it's anybody who you know. Anybody who asked you what you think of the movie, make sure that as I'm sure we all would to say it's certainly worth seeing. I mean, it's, it's entertaining. Yes, it's a it fun. Is. It's a it's a fun movie. And if you go, if you go and you want, just want to, have, if you're looking to have fun, you, you're going to enjoy the movie. It's not like, you know, you're going to come out. Oh my God, what the hell was that? Did you guys get the um, get the survey card after the movie? No. 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 Okay, at my local theater, there was a, um, on, not on the midnight release, but on the uh, next day when we went, there was a guy that was handing out survey cards um, that were about the movie that were, you know, the feedback. And most of the people in the cards were giving it about an average review, and that was good. Though, so, um, so after having a discussion about somebody, um, about the characters in the movie, people didn't remember any of the lines. They, they didn't remember any of the characters' names, but they were giving it a good review. Hmm. So, Okie doke. Um, I think we're pretty good here. Uh, if anybody wants to contact the Lantern Cast, it's uh, lanterncast at gmail.com. Uh, we have a website, lanterncast.com. Um, you can find us on iTunes. We have a forum, uh, Facebook page, Twitter. It's all on our website. And uh, our voicemail is 708 Lantern. Uh, I want to thank Mark, John, and Mindy for uh, for joining me. Thanks, Jim. Thank you for inviting thank me. Thank you. And uh, if if anybody hasn't listened, if anybody hasn't gone to see the movie, go see the movie. <laughs> that was the whole point of this episode. That's right. <laughs> it's fun. It is fun, and uh, you know, the more people go to see it, the better likelihood we have at a sequel which won't be an origin story and has to have more action. So As Blake Lively said, uh, if, if we wanted to see her in the Star Sapphire outfit, we have to make this movie a success. <laughs> she said that? Yes, she did. Awesome. <laughs> okay. And on that note, uh, so long, everybody. Good night. Bye.